Well, hello there, horror fans, and welcome back to Horror Hands. I am your favorite Brit, V. And I'm your unfavorite American, Meg. And I brought a special guest to chat with us this week, V. So, special guest, which is also a horror fan. Yeah, Spence. Hey guys, I'm your ghost host with the most Spencer. That's a great intro, Spencer. I'm so proud of I you. I thought about so that So strong. One. That is fantastic. <laughs> oh, I love that. Spencer had at least an hour and a half to come up with an intro since we had to re-record this. Mm. We're so proud of you. You've come yeah. such a long that way. That was better than my last intro. Yeah, in this hour and a half that we've been doing it. I was about to say, you're a professional podcaster now because you fucked up a recording. Because oh we fucked up plenty of recordings. <laughs> Can I put this on my resume? It's my favorite pastime. You can. And like, the thing is, you got to fuck it up your first time. And now hopefully you uh, never do it again. Cheers to that, friends. Exactly. All right. And we all drink. Cheers to that. Cool. Mm. So we are all drinking and two of the three of us are. Wabba? That's redacted. Huh? That's redacted information. Thank you very much. <laughs> Secret information. But this way. It's a favorite week because we get to speak about something very exciting. But first of all, do you have a question to ask? Yeah. What's your favorite scary movie? <laughs> <laughs> because one scream. <laughs> Spence, what's your favorite scary movie? What is my favorite scary movie? Uh, I like the more modern shit, like The Babadook, or did I say that right? Or uh, it follows. Okay, I call. Or hereditary. Okay, Tara. Or smile. Wait, are, is that your legitimate answer? No, it's not. It's scream. Oh, thank God. V, what's your favorite scary movie? Oh, you know, there's so many out there that there's so much to choose from. Um, and obviously we've got different time periods. So like, classic, classic Universal Monsters is like. And the creature from the Black Lagoon. That's your favorite uh, Universal monster. Yeah, I love the creature from the Black Lagoon. What's your favorite Universal monster, Spencer? I like the Wolfman. That guy is crazy. We all have favorite, different favorite Universal monsters because mine's Frankenstein's monster. Ooh. It's very slay, very slay. But but V, what's your favorite scary movie in general? In general, um, oh, fuck it, it's so difficult because I do actually have a lot. Um, I don't know. I mean, I would probably say Friday the 13th, but as we're talking about it, it's changing to Scream. <laughs> I was literally about to say, are we about to like actually fist fight right now? Because it has oh, to be Scream. Hustle. <laughs> At least for this week, it's going to be Scream because I yeah. wanted Spencer to be on this episode because Spencer loves Scream just as much as we love Scream. Um, so I'm super excited to be here with both of you guys today while we do a deep dive on a franchise. And V, are you happy that we're finally covering a slasher that you like? Yes. <laughs> I was about to say, because we covered Texas Chainsaw, and you were like, fuck this shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a bumpy ride doing that one. Um, but I know this is probably going to be bumpy with some of them. But we are in this episode talking about Scream, Scream Two, and Scream Three because it's free. Yeah. So basically, we're gonna like kind of prepare ourselves to see Scream Six, and then next week we're gonna be talking about Scream Four, Five, and Six. But yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna do a round robin, motherfuckers. Okay, 
Yeah, you hear that? Yes, round robin. Yes, we (laughs) we all have written a synopsis for um, our respective scream movies, and because I have zero chill, I'm about to go off on a tangent about Scream One. So are you guys fucking ready to rock and roll? Ah, slay! Quite literally. Well, our story, Scream. One opens with a phone call. High schooler Casey Becker, played by Drew Barrymore, is settling in for her evening when her home phone rings. Bum, bum, bum. On the other line is a mysterious caller that quizzes Becker on scary movies. Then the call quickly turns sinister. The caller refuses to leave Casey alone and reveals that her boyfriend Steve is bound and gagged outside. I don't want them to project <laughs> their kinks on me. Like, I don't need to see it. I don't need to see it. We, as we said before, we're not going to kink shame in this podcast. All kinks are accepted, but if you're one of those weirdos that does like somebody to dress up as Ghostface and like pretend to kill them while they're having sex, you may need to seek um, therapy. But, um, <laughs> Spencer's like, God damn it. Um, the only way that Casey can save Steve is to go along with this unknown caller's demented game. Casey tells the caller the incorrect killer for the original Friday the 13th. She says that it's Jason, and we're all screaming at our TVs like, that is fucking wrong. It's part of the boys, you bitch. Yeah, and with that, Steve is gutted, and Casey meets the same fate after an intense game of cat and mouse. This opening completely changed the audience's uh, expectations for this movie. They pushed Drew Barrymore in all of the promotion for this film. So people thought, okay, cool. We're about to get a super cool horror movie with Drew Barrymore. And then they kill her in the very beginning, very brutally. Mm. Part of that was because Drew was actually supposed to play Sydney up until like five to six weeks before they shot this film. And Wes Craven actually signed on to do this because Drew Barrymore was a part of the cast. He was tired of doing horror. Horror was at like an all-time low at the box office. There wasn't really much creativity happening. And he saw that she was attached to this movie and then they had to pivot. But they delivered such an effective opening scene in this movie. A hundred percent. It really sets a tone for the entire, not even just the entire film, the entire franchise that we've come to know as today. Um, it was like such a shock because they obviously used Drew Barrymore as well for the poster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh shit! Like this bitch doesn't fucking survive. So who's our main girl? Like. Yeah, and she was, like, kind of known. Um, Nev Campbell was kind of known at this point. But, yeah, like, it was supposed to be about Drew. And I thought that her work as Casey Becker was so good. She Mm -hmm. played Terrified so well. Spencer, Mm -hmm. I know you fucking love Casey Becker. I love this scene. I think that it's uh, honestly the best scene in the franchise for me. I don't think they've topped this scene. Uh, in any of the other movies yet. I think it's so crazy that they, you know, they take the girl that's on the poster and then they just kill her in the first 15 minutes. 
Yeah, like so unheard of. And Mm -hmm. she would run around set trying to hype herself up beforehand. I told you guys that Wes Craven um, would tell her stories of animal abuse to like get her to be super emotional, which is like kind of fucked up. But like, that's so you blame her. That's so fucked up. I know. Like, I would be fucking sobbing too. And like, mm-hmm. the brutality in which she is killed is so intense, especially when they zoom in on that horrible dummy that's been gutted. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, after this scene, we meet Sydney as her boyfriend Billy Skeet Ulrich uh, sneaks into her bedroom window. And how these two are an item. I don't know, because Sydney's so cute, and he is so dirty in this movie. I'm so sorry, V. I know he's so you have love dirty, for him. but he's so hot. At the same time, he's a dirty, dirty boy. <laughs> well, like, immediately you dislike him because he's pressuring Sydney about their relationship. He's asking about the trajectory of their PG relationship and Sydney's like clearly traumatized because her mother was murdered not even a year before like the one year Mm -hmm. anniversary of Maureen Prescott's death is fast approaching and Mm -hmm. even though Sydney identified the killer as Cotton Weary and Cotton's on death row she's still having to live with the after effects of her mother's death I mean yeah I mean it's shit when any parent dies but when your parent is like brutally murdered that must take a while to get over yeah for real it's like a horror movie before the horror movie started you know like Sydney she's already experienced a horror movie this has happened to her yeah and then it's Mm -hmm. happening again and like we have two major red flags in this scene that we all just overlook. One is the fact that in the very opening scene, the killer is quizzing Casey on horror movie facts. And then Billy goes, yeah, so the exorcist was on. It got me thinking about you. Like, who says that to their girlfriend, number one? I mean, I would be flattered by it, but like, come on. But and like, the- which part? <laughs> Which part of the exorcist? Like the thrashing about or the pissing on the floor or the going backwards down the stairs? Or... I was about to say, or the mother, your mother sucks cocks in hell, which I, I was about to say, I mean, like, quite literally, he could be thinking about that. Mm-hmm. That could that, be. That makes sense. Oh my God. That could make sense. That could be. But, like, also, when they're making out, Don't Fear the Reaper is playing underneath. Like, that's suspicious. And we just that's all were weird. okay with it. <laughs> that's suspicious. It's a good song. That's weird. It is. And the it cover is. that they chose for that was actually really good. But, like, 100%. hello. Like, we were all so oblivious. We were just, like, looking at his good looks, I guess. I don't know. Or Sydney. Because she actually is... Yeah. Anyway. She's like, she's really pretty. She's like really pretty. Oh my God. <laughs> but the next day, the school is a buzz following the news of Casey and Steve's murder. And here we meet the main cast of our characters. So we meet Gail Weathers, played by Courtney Cox. And she is like this cutthroat news journalist just looking to bust her story wide open. Period. Bust it open. <laughs> 
Yeah, and she stops Sydney and her best friend Tatum, played by Rose McGowan, before they head into school. And Gail has covered Maureen's death. Um, and she's very suspicious because she believes that Con Weary is innocent. So it's a very uncomfortable confrontation between the two. But Gail was serving cunt in this movie. Mm -hmm. She was, was. but also Sydney put her in a motherfucking place. She did put her in her place. She was like, no, we're not doing this. We're not going here. Like, she thought that she was going to get a little news story, and Sydney was like, you want to know what? You're really not, though. You thought it's not happening. But, like, what a way to introduce her character. Like, you fucking love to hate Gail. Like, you just, she was that, like, tabloid journalist that you're just like, oh, my fucking God. And Courtney Cox really wanted to play this role because she wanted to, like, shake off the Monica Geller nice girl persona that Hollywood was trying to put her in. She was like, I just wanted to play a bitch. Mm-hmm. And she did. She does. She does, she so does it well. very well. Does she choose that scenery? She does so, so well. And um, we also meet uh, Stu Mocker and Randy Meeks, uh, played by Matthew Lillard and Jamie Kennedy, respectfully. Um, and Ooh. the group discusses last night's slings. And V, you're over here whimpering. What about it, girly pop? Uh, you know. Uh, a little bit of drooling because uh, Matthew Leather is just oh, he's a tall glass of milk that I could drink all day. A he's glass sexy. of milk. A glass of a milk. Tall, a glass of a milk. A tall glass of milk because he is uh, fully white. Because <laughs> he's and gonna make you white. I was I was thinking because he was like tall and like. Thick totally. and like sturdy built, you know. Like I think mil- mm-hmm. that's a milk body for you. Mm-hmm. Body by milk. <laughs> <laughs> he should have been in those like got milk ads. I want oh. scream got milk oh. ads. Oh, that would have been so good. But like this is really like the who's who of Hollywood. Like they put a bunch of like cute actors to be in this main cast. I mean. I know, Spencer, you have the hots for Tatum, right? Of course. I mean, the whole cast, though, like, they, they compiled the hottest people in Hollywood at the time and then put them in a, a movie. How could it not be amazing? Mm-hmm. I don't think that any of the men in this movie are hot until we get to, like, Dewey in the third movie. Dewey just be doing something with that slicked back hair. Just David Arquette, just in general. There is something about that man. That does it. Have you seen Eight Legged Freaks? You should. If you haven't, you should. Say, yeah, he's you in should. that movie. That movie scared the fuck out of me when I was younger. Okay. Okay. V's like, that's going in my watch list. <laughs> yeah, but um, Sydney goes home after class to await Tatum and gets an unknown call. And she just thinks that it's Randy like pranking her. And she kind of goes along with it um, until the caller mentions her mother. And in this first phone call and uh, her chase sequence, it really sets up her final girl character so well. She's, like, criticizing women in horror, um, specifically. We see her skepticism and we see her rationale all in this scene. And we really see all of her thoughts running through her head when Billy climbs in her bedroom window and drops his cell phone. As Ghostface disappears. Cell phone? Oh my god. 
I know. A witch! A witch! <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, we, we us three have not ever lived in a world without Scream. Um, yeah, I didn't have a cell phone in 1996, so... That... Spencer, you weren't born in 96. I think V was the only one that was alive when this movie came out. I mean, I was born in October. Yeah, this movie came out around Christmas. It was in December. Yeah, okay, but I was a baby. Like I was on screen when I was a couple of months old. That's no fucking excuse. Like Did you, you have a cell phone? Have I was say, I'm sorry, take it up with my parents. I was about to say V two months old in the cinema with a brick of a cell phone. Like, there's no <laughs> excuse. <laughs> but like, seriously, like that was kind of like very suspicious uh in that time because like you didn't really know people that had cell phones like it wasn't a thing so that was like crazy to watch it back nowadays thinking about that like oh yeah she was probably like hella suspicious because like who has a fucking cell phone i mean because just before he jumps through the window she's literally on her computer trying to connect to 911 yeah right yeah which is also kind of like mind-blowing that they had that in 96 (laughs) you know what i'm saying I'm gonna yeah. tweet 911. <laughs> Somebody call 911. Shut if I ever. And it's funny, they cut out um, in that scene, like she had put in her home address is like 1234 or something like that, like <laughs> Elm Street, but they ended up cutting it. But I'm just like, I love, I love. Slay. But, slay. Um, as Sydney's like running away from Billy, because she's like, "What the fuck? This guy has a cell phone." She runs right into Dewey, the police officer, which happens to be Tatum's brother, and Billy's carted off to jail. We Um, Billy's released from jail questioning the next day because the calls can be traced to Neil Prescott's phone, Sydney's dad, who's away for business, and um, I don't know. That should have been a. Uh, I guess we should have been, like, questioning that, but I was like, it seems legit, like, the first time watching, like, that could have happened. That's correct. But we see the school, and kids are running through the high school wearing ghost-faced masks and robes. Like, who allowed that shit to be happening? Well, clearly the phones did. That's so fucked. It's so fucked up. And I, I noticed that... In this scene, Stu looks so fucking happy to see people, like, running through the halls wearing ghost face masks. Like, that in and of itself is a clue. But that is why I think that Stu was probably the one that did most of the killings as Ghostface. Because of his physique. The thrill of it. The thrill of it, but also, like, he had a motive to kill Casey. Like, that he was his ex-girlfriend. He does have a motive to kill Casey. And That's Steve. Cool. I was about to say, he had a motive, but I kind of feel like maybe Billy was the, well, and he was probably the one that chased Sydney because how could Billy have come up the wind, like the side of her house so quickly? He seems so out of breath when he crawls through the window, though. He's like, (gasps) but don't forget when Dewey, when Sydney opens the door to Dewey, Dewey has a ghost face mask. He just tossed that shit, huh? Why does he think that that's cute? He's like, Sydney. He's like, oh, like trying to scare her. Like, what a dickhead. Because he's, he's doofy. <laughs> he is doofy. He's just a silly little guy. <laughs> silly. Like, in this movie, he is so silly. He's a silly goose. 
<laughs> I I think that um, originally his character was supposed to be more macho, but I think that Wes Craven really liked the way that David Arquette kind of like played down his intelligence. A hundred percent. No, I I love the silly guy representation with mustaches. Like I'm here for that. I was about to say, as do you feel seen? Sporting a mustache. I feel very seen by Dewey. <laughs> Well, in that scene, Billy kind of corners Sydney and is like, hey, what's your hesitation with me? Like, the police let me go. Like, what the fuck? And Sydney just kind of, like, runs off to the bathroom as she should. Like, what the fuck? With and her silly little run. I was about to say with her little run that I know that they make fun of in Scary Movie. Yeah, they do. <laughs> it's so funny. But Sydney's like absolutely annihilated in that bathroom because those girls are talking about her her classmates are like she's just like what if that's her trauma and she's ghostface like what the fuck and then they promptly leave and she's attacked by ghostface bitches those fucking bitches and following this attack classes are canceled and there's a curfew placed on the town but before everyone can leave principal hembry played by henry winkler is murdered in his office murder which you they try and make you think that he's ghostface when he's like pointing those scissors at those kids like hey you guys fucking think this is funny i don't think he cusses at them but like you guys think this is funny that's just an american high school principal though i feel like they're all that intense for so like no reason you don't understand all. but yes absolutely that's all of them that's all uh-huh. of them. They're, they're the fawns yeah 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 totally agree <laughs> uh-huh. i totally know what american principals are like yeah huh? do you guys have principals over there we've got head teachers they're called here that sounds so like official head teachers so In light of classes getting canceled, Stu's planning on throwing, like, this massive blowout party. But first, him and Billy have to go to the video store, man. And this is my, like, one of my all-time favorite scenes in this movie. And we get the iconic line that resonates in every single movie in this franchise afterwards, which is, Everybody's Everybody's a a suspect. suspect. It's Leah. Yes, and the character dynamic between Randy, Stu, and Billy in just these few minutes is my favorite, hands down. Uh, It really gives you an insight into the Billy-Stu dynamic, because when they're in this scene, it's very unsettling with the way they speak to Randy. Yeah, it's like they're like toying with him like he's prey Mm. and they're like playing with him which is just kind of like sick when you actually have seen the movie before a hundred percent well and it's he's not their friend like if you've ever had to like hang out with your significant other's friend that you don't really like you kind of want to mess with them you know he's he's not their friend he's sydney's friend Mm -hmm. which makes that like relationship kind of weird it's kind of tense between them randy likes sydney a little bit Billy oh yeah, knows that, and it's so. There's a little Everyone tension there. That. There's yeah. definitely tension there, and Randy even says to Stu after Billy walks away, he's like, "Are you telling me that's not a killer?" Like that line is so purposefully placed at the end of this scene. It's almost as good as when we get Randy's rules to survive a horror movie. <sighs> he's just iconic, honestly. I love Randy. I think Randy, other than Sydney, is my favorite character. In this movie. 
I love Tatum. Well, he's a horror movie fan in a horror movie, which is so fun because that is more audience representation. Yeah, but also when you're a fan of horror films and you see yourself represented, it's like mm, this person's probably going to die at some point. We're not going to talk about that yet, please. (laughs) But we get to the final act that actually takes place at Stu's house for his massive rager. It took them 21 nights to completely film scene 118. It was such a brutal filming of that final scene because that's essentially half of the movie. Um, The cast and crew got shirts that said, I survived scene 118. I mean, by the end of this filming, they were completely caked in fake blood. And they had to keep wearing the same clothes that they wore before. Because, you know, continuity's sake, the costumers wanted them to look like how they looked like the day before. But disgusting. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall to watch them film all of this. And um, at the top of the scene, Tatum goes to get beer for everyone and meets Ghostface in the garage and jokingly pleads, don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be in the sequel. And then she's taken out by a garage door. It is probably the best kill in this film. Probably like the entire franchise as well, because it is just so brutal and shocking. And it's like, Oof. Like, imagine yourself getting killed by a garage door. God. That would suck. I would hate that, personally. Watching this back, sometimes she's stuck at her titties, sometimes she's stuck at her hips, and the dummy that they use as Tatum is so horrible, but, like, so amazing. <laughs> it, it, I love it. It is horrific, but also... Thick bitches unite. I was about to say thick girls represent. Inside, though, Billy and Sydney are breaking Randy's number one rule to survive a horror movie. You can't have sex. Yep. Sydney decides to give Billy her virginity, and then it really raises the stakes because literally immediately afterwards, as they're getting dressed again, Ghostface seemingly kills Billy right before he chases Sydney out of the house. Mm-hmm. So she loses her mom, someone's trying to kill her, and then they murder the love of her life for, you know, her high school boyfriend. Like, Jesus, like give the girl a break no don't give the girl a break it gives her more character development i mean that's true we see gail's cameraman get his throat slit while gail and dewey are investigating a car that they end up figuring out is neil prescott's car down the road and sydney has a super intense car scene with ghostface which i love and i hope that we get another like car scene in scream six since they're gonna be in new york i hope we get a cool taxi scene oh my god but um yeah sydney ends up getting a gun and she runs back to Stu's house and finds both randy and Stu outside both of them like pleading like please help me sydney oh help me sydney and she simply just says fuck you both Love her for that. As she should, yeah. Mm-hmm. As she should. And she runs inside and finds that Billy's still alive and she gives him the gun, which is like the absolute worst thing that you can do because it's revealed that Billy Boy is Ghostface himself, but he has an accomplice, his sidekick Stu. Dun, dun, dun. We didn't even know that they could have two killers. Mm-mm. Exactly. It's like one of the first representations we probably get of two 
main colours. Because up until now, probably in most of horror films, it was like one colour. But if you look at real life killings, there is like a lot of like duo acts. So it's like bringing in the real life representation of like, oh shit, there are two colours here and both male, both male killers, both male, both gay, For this both many. love each other. Peace, peace. <laughs> so you're in the gay camp. Queer all the way. Gay, gay. Spencer, do you think that they're gay for each other? I think they're definitely gay for each other, but I don't know if they love each other, if that makes sense. I think Stu loves Billy. Interesting. I think Billy's definitely a sociopath. I don't think he loves Mm. Stu at all, but he's using the hell out of him. Oh, and for that, he Mm -hmm. could love him. Because I feel like their characters balance each other's crazy so well in the final kitchen scene. Billy reveals to Sydney that all of this is because Sydney's mom was fucking Billy's dad and essentially broke up his family. So he's dealing with some mommy issues and maybe not the best way mm-hmm. possible. But I want to know, like seriously, do you guys think that Stu knew about Billy's dad? And like that <sighs> Sydney's mom was killed because she was ruining his family. I think that Stu doesn't really give a fuck. I don't think that he knew about the backstory, and I think he just wanted to kill people. I think if he knew, he wouldn't give a fuck. You really? know, it's more, you know, they go after Casey, you know, take out Maureen for Billy, take out Casey for Stu kind of thing. Mm. Um, See, I'm in the camp that Billy killed Maureen all by himself, and then was like, hey, do you want to, like, kill Sidney Prescott with me? Do you, like, want to kill some people? And she was like, yeah, fuck it, man. Like, I don't care. Yeah. See, that's interesting. He stumbles upon it. You know, Stu Stu wasn't there initially, but he gets swept up in it. That's what I think. What about you, V? I think that Billy didn't tell Stu about the reason why to kill Sydney's mum. And he was just like, hey, should we just, you know, kill some people that did us wrong? And he was like, fuck yeah, let's do it. Because obviously, in the opening scene, um, there's a reason why they went after Casey because absolutely they were romantically interested Stu and Casey and she broke up with him was she broke up with him yeah she broke up with him I'm pretty sure so and then and well well they they argue about that and he's like no I thought you broke up with her for me I think that's what Tatum says to him or something like that yeah he could just be saying that though or maybe I'm just going crazy but Sydney sees both of these two characters become increasingly more unhinged as they take turns stabbing each other before she like sneaks away and there's a really cool contrast of Billy just like absolutely going crazy like where the fuck are you bitch I'm gonna fucking kill you bitch and Matthew Lillard is like ad-libbing like my mom and dad are gonna be so it's like their characters could not get further away from each other it, in that moment. It's so funny, especially when the phone gets thrown at him and he's just like, uh He's like, You hit me with the phone, you fucking dick. Yeah. He's hamming it up the whole scene and it works so well for the characters. It really does. Kevin Williamson said that he thought that he underwrote Stu's character and it was Matthew Lillard that really brought him to life. Like, he was supposed to be kind of like a throwaway character, but he ended up being the standout role because of Matthew Lillard. And that is why we love Matthew Lillard. It's because he can make any character shine, no matter what he's playing. I mean, in that final scene where he's, like, spitting and, like, screaming, like, he's intense. I, I love when an actor's having fun, and you can tell he's having fun with that role. 
especially that last scene. Yeah, and ultimately, Sydney gives Stu sweet, sweet mercy by dropping, like, a 2,000-pound TV on top of his head, killing him. Show me the statistics of where people get killed by those TVs. Killing him? And I will believe he's dead. Look, we're going to have an argument about this again. I think that Stu's dead. I think that he's dead. I think that he was bleeding out. He was going to be unconscious. And then those TVs are heavy as fuck, V. Yeah, but show me the statistics of where people get killed by them. How many people get killed by those TVs? Show me them. Spencer's going to Google it right now for us. How many How many people get killed by those TVs and, like, they're already feeling a little bit woozy? You know, like, how many people That's are... That's what I'm saying. Like, he's like, I'm feeling a little... But I don't, know, I don't know, because they did plan on bringing back Stu. That, I have read that, that they were, like, potentially teasing it, but I just don't think that it would be very good. We see them kind of bring back Billy in Scream 5, and I don't know if it worked. No, but honestly, in Scream 3, they put Matthew Lillard on payroll because they were going to make it as though he was orchestrating people from prison. So they had plans to bring back Stu, so... I don't know, I guess... I think that's kind of like a what-if thing, because they weren't going to bring Dewey back... That's true. Until he did the thumbs-up scene uh, for one of the takes. Yeah. And that's what, like, caused Dewey to survive for the sequel. Yeah, they just kept that in, because he was supposed to die. I mean, Gail and Sydney ultimately tag-teamed to take out Billy. Uh, Randy's still alive, but Sydney never allows these two to break her down. Like, even the person before she knew who these people were, she was like, fuck no, like, you're not gonna fucking kill me. Kevin Williamson wrote a super strong, coherent, feminist, final girl character, and he did it In like three days, he knew what teens wanted to see on screen. And he wrote a girl that people could connect to even nowadays. And I mean, he did, he did write Dawson's Creek, so. I've never seen Dawson's (laughs) Creek, so I can't shit it on it, but. I mean, it's already, it was already aimed for the teenagers at the time. Even my mum watched Dawson's Creek when it came out. (laughs) And we're British But that's what I'm saying. (laughs) He knew what. He knew what people wanted to see. He wrote the perfect whodunit meta slasher film that horror fans and non-horror fans can get behind. This movie revitalized the genre, and V, he did the thing. Angela Bassett did the thing. (laughs) (laughs) Kevin Williamson sure did the thing, and for that, I think we can all thank him. And he knew that this was going to be the shit. He wrote a five-page treatment for the sequels because he was like, yeah, this is low-key good. It's going to be a hit. But would you guys like to know the breakdown of kills? Yes. So, in Scream, a total of seven people were killed. Five of those were men, two of them were women. And you know what? It was a nice time to see a blue chart in this because women normally get killed the most in horror films. They killed the men. Ah! Not you, Spencer. He truly gave us like a feminist horror movie without, I don't know if he intentionally did it, but like he did. I mean, she even says like, not in my movie. Like, we're not fucking going here. Like, I'm going to prevail no matter what. 100%. And I fuck heavy with Sydney Prescott for that. But I will say... The most iconic kills were the two females, Tatum and Casey. That is true. And I feel like they were oh, the most brutal too. A hundred percent. So did we really win? Yeah, they were very this? creative. <laughs> did we win or are we just simply looking past the facts? We're looking past the facts. <laughs> <laughs> we're looking past them. I cannot see them. I'm blind. <laughs> 
Well, that's what I have for Scream 1, you guys. I mean, this fucking did... This did it. I mean, this set up so many... Okay, this set up so many other movies to follow in its footsteps, including the rest of the franchise. I mean, it's a really good jumping pad to Scream 2. Yes. Yes. Of course. And obviously, I am covering Scream 2, because that's why she passed over to me. Eh. Mine's not going to be as detailed as Meg's part, but we will go with it. So, I have no chill. You know this about me. I do. I do. This is why we work so well, is because we have very different styles. <laughs> How we do notes yes. and bits. So, um, I'll write a six-page uh, essay, and V's like, I think I'm going to just wake up and do it. Literally, I'm a, I'm a, it'll be alright in the night kind of person. He'll <laughs> <You> be fine. <laughs> okay, so, moving swiftly on to Scream 2. So, synopsis I have is, two years after the event of Scream, the event, even, of Scream, Sydney is trying to navigate being a college student at the fictional college, um, Windsor College, and also being in a new relationship. Slay. However, there seems as though there is a copycat killer targeting our lovable band of survivors. And our survivors are Sydney, Randy, Gail, and Dewey. That is four people that we have survived from four the first people. film. Let's talk about one of the most iconic scenes in this film and this franchise. The opening for Scream 2, The Theatre. Oh, this is such a strong opening. The commentary for this opening is just chef's kiss. In this opening, we follow two college seniors, Maureen Evans, played by Jada Pickett-Smith, and Philip Stevens, her boyfriend, who is played by, if you give me a moment, I will find his name somewhere, um, who is played by Omar who are both very well-known actors at this time of when this film comes out. So obviously we are following the same formula as the first Scream film where two well-known actors or a well-known actress is murdered. Murdered. In the opening scene. In the opening scene. So they go to the theatre. They're in the line and they're chatting shit and then they walk into the theatre and boom, we get our first introduction to the most famous fictional film franchise in the world <laughs> stab <laughs> which is based off the book that gail weathers wrote the whisperer murders um that is based off what happened to sydney in the yeah she's film. essentially capitalizing off of sydney's trauma she's getting her bag and she's fucking living for it living so our couple sits down in the movie theatre. Feels like, oh, I need to go piss. I need to go weebie. <laughs> I need to be a child and go weebie now. Who the fuck get? Who sits down for a movies and like I gotta take a leak? Who does you go, that? You go before you enter the. Oh, you God. go before you enter the cinema. You gotta plan ahead. Like now, I will say, like I think about his death scene every single time I go to the bathroom at a movie theatre. Every single time, without fail. I, I don't blame you because it's quite it's quite a shocking it's not shocking death but like a very like ooh. no it's it's like it's a men's room which is already scary enough <laughs> but it's also like like the bathroom you don't think of as like a inherently scary place it's like I don't know that that's the one place that should be sacred you shouldn't have to worry 
and then this guy just gets ganked there. That is true. But yeah, like, that is crazy. And then she gets murdered in such a horrible way afterwards, too. Oh my god. And the whole, t- the whole time, Red Right Hand is playing. Mm. Which is like... The Scream theme song, essentially. I don't think we touched on that in the last part. No. But, like, that plays twice in the first movie, and it plays during this opening scene, which is so fucking cool. Dude, I listened to Red Right Hand, like, every day for this past week, and I was playing it the other night, and I was like, Val, do you know what this uh, song is from? She's like, I have no idea. And I'm like, baby, I taught you better than this. <laughs> you should know better. Get it together. <laughs> um. So, yes. Yeah, so, after we see um, Phil put his ear to the dirty dirty bathroom stall wall and get stabbed in the motherfucking ear which i don't think would be a great way to die we see maureen grab her little like snackies at a concession large popcorn and a giant pepsi and that probably cost her 50 dollars because concession snacks are expensive she sits down and she's like, oh, Phil, you put on your ghost face costume. It's so sexy. Like, oh, I love it. And he doesn't speak. And she's like, mm, okay, silent treatment. So the fil- stab film starts. We get the opening scene of um, Casey Becker's death. Well, Casey Becker's phone call. And Maureen's like eating her popcorn. She's like, oh, oh, damn. Like, oh, this is scary. And all of a sudden we see a knife get drawn and bam, bam, bam. She gets Stabbed multiple times in the gut. God damn. Yeah, that God was damn. an intense scene. It's so brutal. It is. And obviously she stands up and she's like stumbling down the aisle and the scream, like the people watching in the aisles for the stab film are like, yeah, whoa, this is amazing. Cool. Yeah. Sick, man. Amazing. Until she stumbles up on the little like stage bit of where the movie's being projected and she's like holding her gut. She's dripping blood and they're like, oh, fuck. This shit's real. Like, this shit is nothing. And she lets out this blood curdling scream. So, my next iconic scene from screen two is oh, the slap that Sydney gives Gail. After she ambushes her with Cotton Weary, uh, I felt it through the screen, honestly. I felt the anger and the rage from Sydney in this scene. Yeah, could you imagine seeing Ugh. Cotton Weary again? Like, I feel like yeah. you would not want to see that kind of person in your life and then having them show up at your college a year later. Yeah. As the movie goes on, Cotton is not a good guy. <laughs> Leave Schreiber like really truly played that role so well. <laughs> Literally, but he had so much good intention behind what he wanted to do because he did want to clear his name because he was wrongfully accused. But the aggression he had towards Sydney was not needed. Like it could get in the bin, please. Like there and there were definitely vibes between Sydney and Gail because like you quite literally like started this movie franchise, wrote a book about my trauma. Yeah. And like but like Gail is Gail. She's a she's a good guy essentially, but she's also a bitch. And Scream 2 is just Gail serving cunt part two, period. Uh, Red Chunky mm. highlights. She oh, was like, oh, I'm going to oh. get it. Like, fuck it. The, honestly, the Red Chunky highlights is my favorite haircut that Gail has done. And that's saying a lot, considering the haircut she has. We'll get to my favorite Gail haircut later on in this episode. 
<laughs> so yes, and then we get another iconic line <laughs> from Sydney's roommate. And Meg, do you wanna do you wanna give the line? Do you wanna give it? She goes to the cameraman Joel, which is a whole new character that I absolutely adore. She goes, "Did you get that on film?" And he says, "Yes, I got that on film." And one of the best things about this scene is that line <laughs> and his line were improvised. <laughs> the actress who plays Sydney's roommate was in a interview on like one of the bonus features of the film was like, "I added that line," and then he repeated it back to me, and I was so mad at him for ablibbing it. And then Wes wanted to keep it, and I was even more mad because that was my time to shine. <laughs> He stole her shine, but honestly, he stole the entire movie. Joel was the quite literally the perfect character. The way he just paced out, and apparently that was also like improvised. He just went to Wes and he was like, I just want my character to leave. And he was like, Wes was like, How do you want him to leave? And he's like, My cab. And Wes was like, <laughs> Wes was like, Seriously? And he's like, Yeah. And Wes was like, Okay, bet. And they, they did it. <laughs> so fucking funny literally though like if i was anybody in the scream franchise i would be him because i've said this on the podcast and i've said it to v i don't know how many times i'm like if i was in a horror movie i would simply not be like i would just be gone (laughs) i would just peace out and leave but it also goes to show how wes was so willing to just take on the actors like what's the word i'm looking for like um not critiques but like he allowed the actors to make their yeah. own conscious choices about their characters. Like, yeah, he didn't and- over-direct them. Yeah. And I think that's why this, this film works so much, is because he allowed his actors to just do things. Like, obviously, him piecing out in the cab and the ad-lib line. We, after this scene, my next iconic scene is like Cece's death with Sarah Michelle Keller, who had just, I think, previously just been in I Know What You Did Last Summer. I think that and like Buffy and my thing is, is like Scream knew how to cast actors that everyone wanted to see in Scream and everyone was vying to be a part of Scream 2 because the success of Scream 1, everybody wanted to have their Drew Barrymore moment, you know, they wanted Mm -hmm. to be killed. And I love Cece's death because it gives me one of my favorite lines, which is, do you want to die tonight, Cece? (laughs) And I'm like... Honestly, what if she had just said yes? Uh, me. <laughs> <laughs> me. But it also foreshadows what Sydney had said in the previous film in Scream. of like, oh, you know, you're just going to chase a dumb blonde with big tits around. And then we get Sarah Michelle Gellar's character, blonde, average tits, but nice tits, running around. <laughs> I was going to say, God bless the casting agent that cast Sarah Michelle Gellar because uh, she she was my sexual awakening. She truly was. Oh my God. I would leave my wife and kids for Sarah Michelle Gellar. I think she's I very happily married to Freddie Prince Jr. That's who needs to be in the Scream franchise God. next. Freddie Prince. Oh my God. Could you imagine like him, Matthew Lillard, Sarah Michelle Gellar? Could Lillard, you imagine him Sarah as that would be sexy. That would be sexy. Okay. <laughs> anyway. I was about to say, that would probably be the only time where I was like, yes, Ghostface, please. Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> yes. Okay. 
So, uh, Cece's death is quite brutal. She gets stabbed, thrown through a window onto a balcony, stabbed again, and then picked up and fucking thrown off the balcony and splats on the floor. And it is... We we get a pan over the balcony to see her fucking body just dead on the floor, like a crime scene, like marked out already. It's very crazy, insane. But uh, I I'm sad that we had to see Sarah Michelle Gellar get murdered twice within a short span of a couple of years. (laughs) That is very depressing. She should live forever. She is, but we will welcome her back into horror films whenever she wants and Freddie Prince Jr. because we love them dearly. So, <laughs> this, is an, I, this is kind of iconic, but also I fucking hate this next scene. The musical number in the cafeteria. Oh <laughs> I, we took a break when recording this and Spencer, you didn't have your headphones in, but I came in and I was like, V, I need to tell you something. And V was like, what? And I was like, I think I love you. we meg meg knows how much i fucking hate a musical number in a non-musical horror film that is so fucking unnecessary britney snow and x um (laughs) i'm ignoring that comment anyway Listen, listen, I love X, but that scene scene made me fucking go, what the fuck am I watching? Because it was so unnecessary. And it's the same with this fucking scene. It's so uncomfortable. (laughs) You're so wrong. Okay, but I'm going to argue, I hate this scene so much, but I think I know where Wes is going with it when he adds it in. It just goes back to like, Mm -hmm. this is not Billy Loomis. That's some shit Billy Loomis would never do. This guy, you know, this is how he, he sees that you need to express love like in an outward way and like he wants to not murder Derek is a good guy but at the same time even the cast fucking hated doing this scene like they literally it's a a callback to Top Gun I think which at the time like yeah it's the same song that was done in um, a scene from Top Gun um because i watched obviously some videos about this before we watched this because as we all know i am a tom cruise hater through and through i will never watch anything he's fucking in horror <laughs> hunt hates tom cruise and that is <laughs> i hope is expressed in every single episode that this podcast records um, that man <laughs> could get in the fucking bin anyway um <laughs> yeah like okay, fish I was about to say that's page seven. Tom Cruise is a fish fucker. (laughs) I will fight him. But yes, um, we're gonna beat the shit out of Tom Cruise. (laughs) (laughs) I could take him on. He's short. I'm pretty taller than him. I think the three of us could do it. So it's fine. Anyway, we always get derailed talking about Tom Cruise and how much we fucking (laughs) hate him him so much. Uh, but yes, as much as like audiences hate this fucking scene, even the cast hated doing it. They're like, "Why the fuck are we doing this? This is so unnecessary, and it's so uncomfortable to watch." I fucking hate it. I ah, I love musicals, by the way. Like my secret, my 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 guilty pleasure is musicals, and this made me hate musicals. <laughs> I respect like, your opinion. It's dead in the water. But moving swiftly on to another iconic but sad scene. <laughs> I'm not ready. 
I'm not ready either, but we have to speak about it. The lead up and the happening of Randy's death. I can't comment. I think I still need time to grieve. He broke his own rules. He did. He probably had sex when he went to college because he thought he was fine. I was about to say, he, he admits that he, like, fucked somebody at the video store that he worked with or whatever, like... Oh, it's, it's been three, <laughs> he, uh... he fucked up his own rules. And when he was, like, sitting down with um Dewey and Gail, he gets a call from Ghostface. And what do the motherfuckers do? They split up. You never split up in a horror film. <laughs> I was about to say, that was the dumbest fucking thing that Randy could have done, and Randy should have known better. Randy lost all ability to think about horror films when he fucked someone. Honestly. All his <laughs> horror knowledge went into that vagina, and that was it. It was gone. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, but it is so funny watching Gail and Dewey in these scenes, like, grabbing people's mobiles and <laughs> Dewey just attacking people. <laughs> It's so fucking funny. And like the side conversations people are having on the phone that they interrupt. There's like the one guy's like, sorry, mom. It's so funny. It is hilarious. But it then doesn't prepare you for Randy getting dragged into the camera van, like the news van of Gail, and getting so brutally stabbed. And no one can hear that he's getting murdered because the fucking beatbox box, whatever motherfuckers are walking past with their boombox mm-hmm. like blasting like <laughs> that's such a nice randy had no chance so at all <laughs> like he he was dead he was gone the one plus from this scene is that joel is like you want to know what Randy died. I'm getting the fuck up out of here because this is what caused him to be like mm-hmm. the dude that knew what the fuck was going on just got killed. Yeah, couldn't be me. I'm out. I'm outie. Yeah. Oh, his exit is just so iconic because he's like, I'm just gonna go get a cab. Bye. <laughs> like, peace out, motherfuckers. <laughs> Did Mrs. Loomis kill Randy? Do you think? Yes, she admits that in the final act. Oh, okay. She's like, she yeah, because he was talking talking about how billy was like a pussy or whatever and so she just like mama's boy yeah it was like it was like kind of like a crime mm. of passion Mm. at that point so yeah like revenge murders in the movie it's so randy is like stuck and stuck and stuck yeah poor Mm -hmm. randy like i'm so sad r.i.p randy but yeah, so my my last iconic bit is obviously the ghost face reveal. And we get a good reveal and a bad reveal. I was going to say, hold on. I also had something about Scream 2 that I think was iconic, which is Gail's chase scene. Oh, oh my, my God. God. I wish we had more chase scenes like that because holy fuck, it was so intense. And oh, Courtney Cox really did the thing. Angela Bassett. I love it. That's one of the best chase scenes in the, the series. That one's it, so tense with the uh, Dewey in the soundproof uh, yes. room. Oh my god. Sorry, I, I know we just derailed, but I just really wanted to take a minute to talk about that because that was so good. That was effective. 100% because we are hopefully going to get another chase sequence in Scream 6 with Gail. I hope hopefully. so. I hope god. so. Because like, that's going to be iconic. 
Can I add something in about Scream Two that I love that of course I don't think I've seen anywhere else on any of the any of the research. Nobody has talked about one of my favorite things. I love Timothy Oliphant so much. He's one of my favorite actors. He talks about Empire Strikes Back being a good sequel, and he is in Star Wars now, which I just love that so fucking much that he can like talk about that in Scream Two and then be in Star Wars now. I was gonna say, so V wants to talk about the reveal of Ghostface, and you that's a perfect segue, because I think that Mickey's motive is stupid when they explain yeah. it, but I think that he's such a fucked up Ghostface in that final scene where he's like, boyfriend killer, boyfriend killer, boyfriend killer, like, oh my fucking god, what a freak. No, but like... The way he, like, completely contradicts to what, like, Stu and Billy had said in the film previously. Like, he was like, I'm gonna blame it on the horror films. Like, get Tommy into a killer. I'm crazy. And it's, like, completely contradicting to what Stu and Billy said when they were like, no, I'm not crazy. Get it right. That's politically incorrect. And horror films don't make a killer. <laughs> like, it's so... It was completely night and day between... You know, them two and obviously these two. And uh, when I say we had one good ghost face and one bad ghost face reveal, I think Mickey's was like quite bad compared to Mrs. Loomis's reveal. Well, oh, we haven't talked about Debbie Salt at all yet. I was about well, to we say, get to now. I was about <laughs> to say, yeah. And I can actually She's sprinkled in throughout the movie. She is. And it's kind of funny that like Sydney's never introduced to Debbie, it's quite literally only Gail. Yeah, but obviously Gail's not going to know what Mrs. Loomis has looked like because we don't even know what Mrs. Loomis looks like. And she throws Gail off. She she says a little line at the beginning where she's like, you recognize me from a convention or something like that, which would, if she did recognize her, that's where she would recognize her from. So she like covers her tracks with that. Which I think so that, cool. that was so stupid when Sydney's like, Mrs. Loomis? And she's like, yeah, I've lost a bunch of weight. <laughs> but also we kind like when sydney gets the ghost face call the ghost face is like hey sydney you remember me sort of thing like we it has to be when in that scene it predicts that it has to be someone from the previous film that sydney knows i never thought about it that way but i think that i can explain why mickey didn't work and why she worked because the script actually got leaked for Scream 2, so they yes. had to rewrite, and Mickey was not supposed to be Ghostface, so that completely changed the end. Yeah, it was supposed to be Cotton, um, Sydney's roommate, and someone else that was supposed to be the accomplices to Mrs. Loomis. So there was supposed to be technically four Ghostfaces in Scream 2. That's kind of cool. Yeah, which makes me think, because obviously jumping ahead like scream six is poor is supposed to like mirror scream two in a way isn't it oh, scream two fuck. scream three. Oh, and speaking of uh scream six you know how everybody was fucking pissed off that ghostface had a shotgun in the trailer fucking this yeah. ghostface used a gun like seriously yeah. like i so am ghostface is all every ghostface uses a gun that's what i'm saying but like i will say their use of a gun in this final act like they fucking lit mickey's ass up like for uh, real like they were like boom 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 boom, boom. Derek straight through the heart that's oh, that's a good kill that, that that's was. a good scene where it's, the way is Derek and Ghostface is he not literally God. the way oh, the way Mickey made Sydney 
question Derek at that last second and then make her feel even worse that when he shoots Derek and fucking kills him and makes Sydney like, oh my god, like I question my boyfriend to the last moment, like sort of thing. <laughs> That's probably one of the only good things that Mickey did. Because I don't forgive him for the musical scene where he's just stood there going, where he was conducting him. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that I really like about this end scene is how Sydney claps back at them because he's talking about Billy Loomis and she quite literally says you're forgetting one thing about Billy Loomis I fucking killed him like she really is the best final girl dude she's like I don't give a fuck what you're saying about Billy I murdered him last movie if you don't remember Mm-hmm, 100%. And motherfucking Gail, again getting knocked out. She, like, dives into the pit. It's so She takes hell else. This bitch. And obviously we get another double tap as well because the rule is just fucking double tap them straight in the fucking head to make sure they're dead. Like, <laughs> come on. If this franchise has taught us one thing, you gotta make sure the killer is really dead. A hundred percent. But that is enough of my notes. Does anyone have anything they want to add for Scream 2? No. I don't know. No. No. Yes, but let me do the Scream 2 kill count. So, a total of ten people were killed. Oh, wow. Six men, four women. So, again, another big ratio for men getting killed in this film. I was about to say, they're keeping with the pattern. Interesting. They are. They are. So, let's move on, shall we? Yeah, Spencer, take it away. On to you, Spencer. <laughs> oh, it's my turn. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so I wrote a little synopsis, and then I took some notes. Uh, I felt like I was in school. So I, for Scream 3, I love Scream 3 personally. I think it's the, the cheesiest of the, of the franchise. Uh, so I gave it, like, a kind of cheesy synopsis. I thought, what would, like, Hollywood write about it? So Scream 3 is Stab Comes to Hollywood. Mm. Three years after the events of Scream 2, a self-isolated Sydney Prescott is drawn back to the limelight. She finds herself in Hollywood after a series of grisly murders target the cast of the most recent Stab movies. Is Sydney going to make the final cut? Question mark? Question mark. No. I will say, there is a lot of discourse on Scream 3... Um, a lot of people don't like Scream 3, but, like, to be honest, it's giving camp, and we love that here at Horror Hunt's podcast. At least Meg does. Oh, definitely. Do you want to know, like, who my favorite in this film was? Please tell. I don't know if I'm, like, going to be jumping ahead at Spencer's, like, fucking thing, but Jennifer Jolie, who plays (laughs) Gail, she fucking does the thing in this film. Parker Posey is the Parker best fucking Posey. Uh, heart oh my of Scream God. 3, dude. Honestly, she... Oh, I just love her. She makes everything in this fucking film. <laughs> she really, really does. No, and just, like, the scenes with her and Gail alone are so funny, just them playing off of each other, because they're both playing bitches. Mm. I know, truly. It's so good. But I do low-key want to talk about the opening before we get too far into talking about Scream 3, because... Yes. Oh, no, I, I love the opening scene. You like it? I think it's a great opening scene, because it kind of... 
I mean, what else are you gonna do? Who are you gonna Who are you gonna set you up gonna for call? this opening kill? Who are you gonna call? Cotton Weary. Re- <laughs> what is his, his talk show? A hundred percent cotton. Yeah. That's so fucking funny. <laughs> I will say, Spencer, I disagree. I think this is the weakest opening in the entire Scream franchise. Oh, it's definitely uh, this is the weakest movie in the entire franchise. Um, it, it's a weak opening, but it's still very fun, and it sets the tone for the rest of the movie. I think Scream 5 is the weakest. I was about to say, I think that... I don't want to give away my ranking yet, but I don't agree with what you just said. I think it's one of the lowest, but I don't think it's, like, atrocious. I think it's... I think it's very meta. And I think that's why a lot of people don't like this film. Because of how fucking meta this film is. They have to make it meta. Uh, This movie... Like, I love the aspect of it being a movie inside of a movie, Mm. it's weird but like it makes sense but i feel like some people i can get why they don't like it because it leans so far into meta but at the same time it's fucking wes craven like did you see what he did to the fucking nightmare on elm street franchise like you gotta know Mm -hmm. the person behind the screen and just go with it no it's definitely a product of that because it's like we had clerks what like three or four years before this came out you know movies talk about movies now that's kind of like the late 90s movies are aware of themselves mm-hmm. um and scream like fortunately they totally didn't mean to do like a hollywood based movie but like setting up like a movie within a movie with stab they kind of could and it, it to their advantage for them having to pivot so hard after like columbine and everything like i think it works for what it is. It, it really is like throwing darts at a board and seeing what works. You actually brought up a two different things that I wanted to talk about. The fact that a lot of people don't like this movie because of like how meta it is, but you also have to think about it is that Kevin Williamson did not write Scream 3. He didn't. He was too busy with Dawson's Creek. I was about to say he was busy <laughs> and the Weinsteins who produced this, uh, Miramax, they basically pressured him and was like, give us something or like you're done. So he was gone. And the person that they got to write this. Um, oh, his last name is Kruger. Yes. Which is very ironic, isn't it? Yeah, Aaron Kruger um, apparently wasn't even a fan of the Scream movies, and Wes Craven had to go back and, like, rewrite portions of it just so that it would Why make would you sense. hire somebody like that? Why would you hire somebody who's not a fan? But also, at the same time, like, he goes on, like, he, he he's writer for the Ring movie, which obviously isn't as good yes. as, like, the original Japanese, but at the same time, it is still a really fucking good movie. Yeah, there's still talent there. And Scream 3, is it's not a bad movie, but it's not a great movie. But he also wrote one of my favourite underrated films, which I'd never talk about, but The Brothers Grimm is one of my Holy fucking favourite movies in the whole entire that world. Wild. I've never seen it. That movie was like, what? <sighs> like, honestly, though, I have like, that movie got me like super into horror because the horse in that movie scared me so bad as a oh kid. Oh my god, the gingerbread man horses. scene in Brothers Grimm is fucking wild. So, god, you know who the Brothers Grimm so are, don't you, Meg? Yeah. So it's basically a movie about them. It's like a, a fantasy retelling, it's a retelling of them. And it's by, uh, I think, Terry Gilliam directed it. It's it stars Matt Damon and Heath Ledger. Yes, it's so, Meg, you need to fucking watch it because I swear to god you will actually really love it. It's the weird, like, dark fantasy 2005, like, uh, 
It has like the same vibe as like the Van Helsing movie with with Hugh Jackman, kind of like super cheesy and super dark. I was about to say that movie is such a piece of shit, but like I actually love it. It's fun. I think you would yeah, love it's exactly Robin the Grimm. same vibe. <laughs> Which like. <laughs> In a sense, it's Scream 3 for me. It's like, it should be so shitty, but like, it's just, it doesn't take itself too seriously, which I enjoy. And that's why it works. Yeah. Yeah, because it it knows it's it's kind of a shitty horror movie sequel, and it's about shitty horror movie sequels. Yeah, and like... With the Columbine uh, tragedy happening, it really impacted the filming of this because the studio didn't want any on-screen blood. Like, they didn't want any of that. And Wes Craven was like, you cannot make a screen... Like, I'm not going to make a screen movie if it doesn't have some sort of violence. So I feel like they had to lean more into the comedy aspect of this movie because of what had happened in America. And from the first Scream movie, Wes Craven, they wanted to film this in, I think, like Canada. And he was like, no, this is an American film. I want this to feel like an American movie. And American tragedies had to have some sort of impact on the movie. And it's just sad that it had to be the least gory or the least violent because of that. Because if Scream has taught us anything, it's that movies don't create psychos. Like, they're already Can't crazy. But at the same time, that was... it's gonna. I don't mean for this to come across as sensitive, but that's when school shootings were so shocking in America. I mean, I now, unfortunately for you guys, it's such a daily occurrence, and you have multiple a day now. Back then, oh, it was sensitized, like, yeah. It was like very, like, it didn't happen as often as it does now, which is so incredibly sad and shocking. Um, but, like, watching it back now is like, shit. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very, we're so desensitized to it now. Uh, like, just like how Scream 2, you know, that opening scene, the, the audience watches her get killed because they're so desensitized to it. Yeah. Um, so it, it's sad that, like, that kind of thing affects the movie production that way. Now, mm. I also think that the reason why Scream 3 isn't the most successful of the sequels is because you don't really see a lot of Sydney. Well, that's because oh, Campbell right. was shooting something else at the same time and she could only give five weeks to this production and she also had to wear a wig because her hair was long and blonde for another film that she was um shooting at the same time so she had to wear a wig through her whole shooting time fun Mm. fact (laughs) that's that's she's got a better haircut than gail does i mean it was a really fucking good wig hold on it's a good wig in in (laughs) scream 3 hold on are we gonna get onto the topic of gail's baby bangs Oh, that's David Arquette. I've been waiting cool, all day. By the way. Hold the on, because I personally think the Gills baby banks were serving what? Nothing. Cunt. <laughs> that's what they were serving. I didn't hear anything. What? It's dead silent over here. <laughs> it was her baby Betty bangs that sent me over the fucking edge in this movie. That was fucking David Arquette telling Courtney Cox, oh, you know what you should do? Is cut your bangs, like, to this... Um, I think this like famous pinup actress, and she did. Oh, like Betty did... Page, yeah. Yeah, and it he, did he not turn her to cut out her hair like Betty Page. It was fucking David Arquette. Fuck. He he's a fucking cunt for that. <laughs> he's an angel. He's a cunt. He should be protected at all costs. 
I honestly think that this movie is the is kind of a turning point in the Gale and Dewey story because you get like this love saga between them and the first one they're nothing and the second one he's angry at her because he thought that they could be something Mm. and then in this one you see that they've tried to make it work but it didn't work out so what does he do and he gets with the actress that's playing Gale like that's playing Gale. Dewey, you are so dumb. Motherfucker. <laughs> He's wrong for that. I'll give him that. <laughs> That's so. It's also so funny because, like, in the. Throughout the screen films, they, um, Courtney Cox and David Arquette's real life relationship was evolving. So in the first film, they met and they were interested. In the second film, they were actually dating. And in the third film, they had married a, a month prior to production starting. Oh my God. I read somewhere that that's why they're both so tan is because they were in the Bahamas for their honeymoon and then they came back to film screen. That's so funny. <laughs> it's like, let me stunt on these hoes for a second. <laughs> I feel like we're just taking over your part. Sorry, Spencer. Sorry, Spencer. <laughs> no, you're fine. This is perfect. I'm trying to think of any scenes that are super iconic from it. Um, Can we talk about the cameos? Because they're iconic. Oh my god. Oh, yeah. fuck, the Jay and Silent Bob cameo, first off, is my favorite. But also in the background, it's also Wes Craven, again, doing a cameo. And Wes Craven's with them on the tour. <laughs> I was going to oh. say, in the first movie, um, Clerks is sitting on top of the TV when they're watching um, when they're watching the movie. Oh, like, when they put yeah. the DVD in, there's a Clerks VHS tape, but it's because it's Miramax, but yeah. But also, at the same time, um, Wes Craven then did a cameo in the next Silent J and Bob film. Oh, as yeah. like a, a all right, oh, they you do did a, a cameo scene. in my film. I'll do a cameo in your film. It's great. I wonder if that's canon to the Scream universe. Was there a, I would love a that. chimpanzee killer in a ghost face mask? Heart eye emoji. Ooh. Oh, so that in that scene, uh, Red Right Hand is playing over the studio back lot. That's what they use as like the the Red Right Hand thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are words. <laughs> I what I was gonna say is I love the connection that is back at Woodsboro. Like at the moment, like everything's been connected to Woodsboro, and obviously we see the production of its scream um, is stab free, and they it's stab free return to Woodsboro, and mm-hmm. it's them back connected to Woodsboro because obviously we have one ghost face in this film. We do. This is the weakest ghost face in the franchise. Yeah. Honestly, I really enjoy Scream 3. Uh, It's one of my personal favorites, but I think that it really does itself a disservice in the beginning and the end of this movie because the reveal of there being one killer. Now, mind you, it did kind of like shock audiences because you're kind of anticipating it to be two killers at this point. Yeah. But like also... Having it be Roman and him saying, sorry if you were going to go into that, Spencer, but having him say that he was pulling the strings for Billy and Stu delegitimized what happened in the first movie, and it it just made it feel not so good. I love the middle part of this movie, but the bookends are not that strong. Oh, definitely. And, like, when they introduce Roman, the f- that's the first, uh, when they introduce Roman as Ghostface. That's the first scene Sydney and Roman have together in the movie. Yeah, like what? It's so fucking weird. Yeah, she... how is she supposed to fucking know who this motherfucker is? <laughs> it's like, hey, I'm your brother. Yeah. We just met. Because Maureen, like, left Woodsboro to try and be an actress. And unfortunately, 
the reality was that she was taken advantage of by Hollywood executives, which is kind of ironic considering who was behind this movie. Now, Harvey Weinstein was not. How did they they allow that to sign off? Like, why did they sign it off? Because it was completely meta to what those motherfuckers did. Do you think it's like that, like, uh, ignorance is bliss kind of thing? Where they don't even realize it's about them because they don't think they're doing anything wrong. Thinking about it too is like the big thing about Scream Three that the actors are getting annoyed with is that there's so many like constant rewrites, which could have been a yes a a callback to Scream Two having so many rewrites. Like this movie is yes commenting on horror, but also the film industry as a whole. Yeah, and I think Scream Three also had a lot of rewrites as well. Yeah, because they didn't know what the fuck was going on because Kevin Williamson kind of wrote them like a synopsis, but they did he didn't actually write it. And I wonder mm. if it would have if go- the Ghostface reveal would have been more powerful with Kevin Williamson penning the actual movie. Well, I think if they just not made it Roman or made Roman a different not Sydney's brother, that's it's just such a weird connection. It feels very like this is the end of a trilogy. I get like the it's almost Return of the Jedi where they want to connect it to the like a, a family tie kind of thing. Uh, it but it to me it falls very flat for this. No, you're right. So you mentioned it being the last installment in a trilogy. Would you guys have been satisfied if this was the last installment in? scream and it truly was a trilogy like what if scream just ended with sydney staring at an open door would you guys have been happy i I like it i think it's a good yeah i don't think i would have been satisfied for the ghost face reveal but the ending where sydney leaves you know her gates to her land open and her door unlocked and open was very satisfying because you can read into that and be like okay she's let go of everything like Everyone that was associated bad with her past life is now gone, dead, by her hands, which is a very slay move. (laughs) But I don't think I would have ever been happy with the reveal of Ghostface. Like, Kylo Ren's reveal in um, the last Star Wars movie, like, when he all of a sudden turns really good and then dies. I was not happy with that. (laughs) Would you have liked it, Spencer, if that was the end? I I think I would have liked it. Uh... I think it's a good it's a good ending for the trilogy. Maybe those last five minutes are a great way to cap off the trilogy. You could have thrown that on the end of Scream too, and I would have been satisfied. It it really is that that Ghostface reveal. I I think is the weakest part of the movie. Just try to get everything to connect to to connect. I think they could have done something uh, stronger than that if they had had you know say say Roman was uh, I don't know like a classmate that was obsessed with them or something. Oh, that would have been cool. Yeah, because we've had the secret brother relative reveal done before in uh, <coughs> Halloween 2. <coughs> God. Sorry, I had to get that yuckiness out of my throat. But for me, I feel like the center middle part of this movie kind of makes up for it just because the ensemble that we have. Um, oh, definitely. I think that the ensemble parts of this movie work so, so well. Like when they have the party scene and they're all like, sitting around trying to figure this shit out but some of the stuff is just kind of like stupid in this movie and like i think i forgive it just for that like i just think that it was just a camp fun good time oh yeah it's stupid but it's not too yeah and like i have a problem with people like severely shitting on this movie because 
I think that you're kind of missing the point of this movie. You know what I'm saying? Like, this movie, I don't think, I think was supposed to be kind of the silliest in the bunch, but I think I would have had a problem with it being the final in a trilogy if... Really? Yeah, I I do. I think that if it's going to be the end of a trilogy, it shouldn't be the funniest one. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It shouldn't be the most meta one. I kind of would have liked if the movie had a more serious tone like the end, like where Sydney was looking at the um, open doorway. I feel like we should have had more of those closure sort of moments if this truly was going to be the end of a trilogy because Sydney is my favorite final girl and we barely saw her in this. We saw like unhinged moments where she saw like Maureen's dead body. Like we had visions and that aspect of the movie was kind of like head scratchers. So I just felt like that's very interesting. The visions, I feel like the visions are something that are like that's common for Scream main characters to have at this point. Because, like, Scream 5, there's a, a lot of visions, um, which that's a very interesting thing for them to have these, like, delusions of seeing people like Literally, that. I wanted to talk about that when we talked about Scream 5, because for a sense in Scream 5, you're like, ugh, why are we seeing visions? But it makes sense if you go back and actually watch all of the movies consecutively shot, like, in order, because if... Sam is going to be our new final girl. She's truly following in Sydney's footsteps of seeing these visions. Mm-hmm. I just I just would have hated to see um Sydney's part lacking so much in the final part of a trilogy. That's that's super reasonable. I think that's super fair for that for the finality of Scream, but luckily that was not the last Scream. That's so true. You think Wes didn't feel satisfied? I don't know. I mean, what do you think, V? I mean, we had the same amount of kills from Scream 2 and Scream 3. So we had 10 people killed in this film. It's the same ratio as Scream 2. So six men and four women. It didn't okay. really do anything different than, you know, the previous Scream films we had. Like, yes, it was like super meta. And I really did enjoy the um Hollywood aspect to Scream 3. But was it really an ever... Um, elevation to the previous two Scream films we just saw? Was it really something we deserved as Scream fans? I don't know, but to be honest, I kind of like the reveal of Roman being a secret brother more than I like the reveal that the ghost face in Scream 2 was fucking Billy's mom and a random guy that she met online. Yeah, but also we've done the secret relative and brother shit so many fucking times i don't every, need that all the ghost faces meet also we don't get to see that much of roman like the first time we get introduced to him he's got his back to the fucking camera like <laughs> I, that's not a way uh, to introduce we, your like kid villain. we should have known his name when his name was roman we should have known a director named roman yeah what the fuck we should have known i was re- that was not clever at all i was re-watching all this with val literally last night she was like can we watch scream 3 and i was like yes of course we can watch scream 3 and she she was like why is he kind of cute though and i was like val that says <laughs> a lot for you okay honey is it's like val hardcore women only yes so what does it say about val that she thinks that roman's hot though like that's kind of suspicious what does that say about me first of all <laughs> i was gonna say it's like him ollie sykes and um adam driver 
<laughs> I mean, I agree with two of the three. <laughs> that's my taste in men. Did you say that's your taste in I... men, Spencer? <laughs> that's my taste in men. Add like 90s Heath Ledger into the mix and that's that's it. <laughs> Let's not talk about my taste in men. My taste in men is very questionable. Mine too. <laughs> I mean, you like older men. Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. I have daddy issues and I know that. Oh, speaking of daddy, Pedro Pascal. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so one of the iconic, uh, uh, is it iconic or is it really fucking stupid deaths in this film? The house blowing up? Spencer, what is the stupidest death in this film? Oh my god, what is the stupidest death? That's a great question. Um, Jesus Christ, it's not like I just said it or anything. <laughs> the, the, oh, the fucking house. Um. You just want to do that again? Sure. No, it's fine. We'll keep this in. Cool. <laughs> we'll see how it like. I did cut that. Cut that. Cut that. Cut that. Redacted. Redacted. No, but like the dumbest scene in this film is the house exploding. Period. It's the fact that he got a fax, had enough time to read the fax, flick his lighter, see what was written down on that page. A fucking lighter. <laughs> Even though they literally just had a torch. <laughs> The, the lights the lights get cut though so did they just cut the lights or the power entirely because how do they get the facts how, how does, that, does work? that work and like how did they not notice the like smell of gas that was going on how did the gas delay from him lighting that lighter like what happened there i can answer that tell me b movie magic <laughs> suspension of disbelief got it got it got it got it 100 mm-hmm. <laughs> It's definitely that. You just, listen, throughout this film, you've just got to suspend your belief because this fucking death is so fucking stupid. It's so dumb, but so good. Can't. (laughs) He could have grabbed that piece of paper, walked outside and read it in that fucking moonlight because that moonlight was bright as fuck. I was going to say, like, again, I know that we've talked about people having issue with Scream 3 and how ridiculous it is, but, like, that's why I love this movie. Like, that scene was so stupid. Oh, no, exactly. (laughs) It's so over the top. They commit to every bit. I love stupid horror. I love it. Speaking of committing to every bit, when they're talking about who's gonna die next and parker posey knows that it's her and she like jumps into her security card stone's arms and it's like oh my god i i love it's so camp it's so fucking camp but also crunk as the security guard i like when he had to put dewey in his place he was like everybody that you secure pretty much dies like leave me to it okay a hundred she ends up dying anyway r.i.p she deserved better also, the bodyguard as well. Like, he gets fucking murdered. But, like, it, the, the amount of times Ghostface had to fucking stab him in order for him to die. And he still had enough energy to walk to the front door and, like, die in front of everyone. For some reason, if it was me in a horror movie, I, I in my mind, think that that would be me. That I could be stabbed, like, 30 times and then just, like, make it to the door. I don't know why I have that mentality about myself. And I know that it's wrong, but, like, I can see where he's coming from. Babes, be like me. Stuff yourself. I was about to say, we talked <laughs> about stuff this. stuff yourself as soon as left. there's a of danger. It's like, yep, yeah, it's going to be me left. next. <laughs> Spencer's like, I would have gotten the fuck out of there. I'm like, somehow I would have survived. And he's like, I would have been the one that killed myself in the beginning scene. Thank you. Yeah. Have you seen The Conjuring 2? When the police just leave after they see the fucking chair move? 
that's, that's me. a vibe. That's Joel in Scream too. He's like, I'm done. I'm done here. We've seen enough. Yeah, no, exactly. There's a guy called Ghostface. We're done. I'm not gonna stick around for that. <laughs> Spencer, did you have anything else to add? Uh, I love Carrie Fisher so much. R.I.P. Oh my God, what a um, babe. That's a really good cameo because she just makes fun of herself. If you haven't seen her stand-up special, you should watch it. It's on HBO. Listen, she was always able to make fun of herself, especially when she did, I think, was it the roast of George Lucas or she um did like a speech for George Lucas and she was like, how are there no bras in space? This motherfucker exactly. made me tape my tits down. I bet that she's the only one he told that to. I guarantee it. She was truly iconic. This movie is just Hollywood commenting on Hollywood. Yes. And there's also a nice homage to um, Debbie Ryan's um, with um, Maureen Pescott's stage name, surname being, being Reynolds. Reynolds. Oh, Reynolds. Yeah. yeah. It was very nice, very sweet. I love Carrie Fisher. I still do to this day. Speaking of homages, I thought that this film was able to pay tribute to the greatest Scream character behind Sydney so well. Randy! Randy's movie trilogy rules. How did he find a way? He found a way. It's because there was so much backlash from Randy's death in Scream 2 that they were thinking of potentially just saying, oh, Randy survived his like death in Scream 2. But then they're like, no, that's actually ridiculous. So they then did the tape instead. So I, I have the rules pulled up and every one of the rules happens in the in the final act. It's actually really cool. So the rule number one, you've got a killer who's going to be superhuman. And that's Roman wearing the fucking bulletproof vest. Like he gets shot. He keeps coming back. Mm-hmm. They have to shoot him in the head at the end. Like Dewey unloads his clip into him. <laughs> rule number two, anyone including the main character can die. Yeah. Which Sydney Sydney gets shot. She gets like Roman turns his back to her and that's when she disappears. Mm-hmm. Yes. The main character dies for a second. And then the rule number three, the past will come back to bite you in the ass. And that's literally like the motive of the movie. I was gonna say, I really think that in all honesty, all of Randy's rules that he's lays out in all three films are correct. Like they all come to fruition within the movie. And I just think that that is a super cool way for the filmmakers to include these horror movie roles for people who don't normally watch horror movies. A hundred percent. It's a very nice introduction to people who don't really watch horror films or understand the rules of horror to fully get the full treatment within this. Exactly. I um I used to work with this girl and she was raised like super conservative um christian and she had never seen i was about to say spencer being the little ex-mormon that he is um i told raven i was like raven you should watch scream it's my favorite movie of all time and she was like i've never even heard of that movie i was like perfect so you don't know what it's like because she didn't watch horror movies she had no idea and when she watched it she was like that was actually like really really good and i think that having a character of randy to kind of help those horror novices along throughout the saga is so smart he's a guide 100 percent. he's a guide but yeah he does like act like a guide and i think that that's smart because one really fun aspect about all of these movies is 
it's a commentary on the genre itself. So having a character help you figure it out as you're going through is so smart. A hundred percent. And we obviously get to revisit that in Scream 5. And Scream 4. Mm-hmm. And hopefully Scream 6. Did you guys have any other comments on Screams 1 through 3? Because I feel like this also could low-key be a good segue into my Scream trivia. Going back to Randy, like you said, uh, one of my favorite scenes we didn't touch upon in Scream 1 is when he is, like, commenting on, he's watching Halloween, and he's like, Jamie, don't. Jamie, don't. Yeah. And it's like, he's, he's saying that to himself, which is freaking, you know, Jamie Kennedy out saying that to Jamie Lee Curtis on screen, on, on screen. I thought that it was so smart for them to um, show that movie in particular because it definitely, like you said, is him commenting as he's actually filming. 100%. A good little scene. Yeah, for real. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. I'm ready for your trivia, I'm bitch. Ready. So, speaking of Randy and being, like, a horror movie nerd, I feel like we're all horror movie nerds here, so I just came up with ten Scream trivia questions. Oh. You're like, horror movie nerds where? Um, I've never seen a movie before. I've never what seen a films? movie in my life. What's horror? What are you guys talking about? Is this thing on? <laughs> where are we? What is this a podcast for? <laughs> What's a podcast? Is this for Blow Deck? <laughs> What's a stab movie? Um, Okay, (laughs) so I have 10 questions, and whoever wants to answer, I'm not going to keep track, but, like, I just kind of came up with, like, a fun little trivia to kind of um, cap off our episode this week, because, spoiler alert, Spencer will be joining us for the next um, installment of this uh, series. Yeah, you sure are. Wow. So um, (laughs) this is a good way to end Scream 1 through 3, since we've talked so much about how we love Randy, and I feel like Randy would have enjoyed participating in Scream trivia. Are we ready, friends and family? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, how many days did it take Kevin Williamson to write Scream? Three. You guys both got it right. Oh, my God, you're so smart. I mean... Spencer didn't actually say it. He just threw up fingers. I'm going to count that, even though it is an audio. God, this isn't a visual podcast. I was about to say, even though this is an audio uh, media, I will accept it. We haven't figured out how to do video. And we don't think we will. <laughs> I'm going to screen record. No. Um. Anyway. Damn it. That's, a, that's against my um, okay. contract. What's the next one? Okay. Against my religious beliefs. <laughs> Who plays Sydney in the Stab movies? Tony, uh, no. Tori Spelling. Huh? Yeah. Tony. Tori Spelling. Yeah. yeah. Um, Sydney comments on how she would like to be a Meg Ryan film or whatever, and she's like, but with my luck, it'd be Tori it Spelling. It was Dewey. It was Dewey oh, yeah. that said that, and she was like, no, my luck, it'll be Tori Spelling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, and then she actually ends up playing. Mm-hmm. Sydney and Stab, which is shown in Scream 2 and then recast in Scream 3, but... Number three, what movie does Randy help a customer find in the video store in Scream 1? Oh, the Slaughter? Fuck. It's a werewolf film. The You're Howling. The Howling? Yes, it is The Howling. She's like, who's yes! that, that werewolf movie that with E.T.'s mom? Yeah, so I mentioned this. And Drew Barrymore's mom in E.T. Yeah, I mentioned this earlier. How long did it take to film scene 118? Is it eight weeks? 
23 no, days. Girl. Your clothes fee. But if we're playing prices right, you've gone over. It actually took 21 nights for them to completely film ah, scene 118. All right. So Spencer mentioned this song earlier, and it has become like Scream's um, soundtrack. It's number one song. But Don't who, act- no. <laughs> who actually sang Red Right Hand? Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Yeah, that's correct. Oh, my God. Yes. Okay. Me. So, V, you actually skipped ahead an answer. Um, oh. What song was playing when we first see Billy and Sydney getting intimate? Don't Fear the Reaper. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. It wasn't the original Don't Fear the Reaper, but it was a pretty strong cover, I would say. So, number seven. Who is the only person that Sydney has on speed dial in Scream 3? Her dad? Dewey. Spencer, you got it. She said, fuck her dad. She said, Dewey's my daddy now. Yeah. I mean, they're like a sibling relationship now because she was best friends with his sister. I was going to say. He lost his sister. Oh my God. Yeah. She's like filling that role, but I really enjoy that. That's so sad. Yeah. I enjoy that Sydney and Dewey's relationship was never, never romantic. They just left it yeah. platonic. And I thought that that brought them sh- like made them stronger throughout the movies because each movie you see her warm up to him so much more. You know what I'm saying? Like, by Scream 5, she's like, Dewey, oh my god, I'm gonna cry. (sighs) Number eight. This is a fun one, and I don't think we've talked about it. What color were Ghostface's robes originally supposed to be? Red? White. Oh, yeah, because there was original Halloween costume was white. And they were like, oh, no, we don't like this. We'll change it to black. Why didn't they like it? That'll give you a bonus point. You can't just wear white robes places. I mean, it's very KKK, isn't it? It is giving KKK, You you can't just do that. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's very very suspicious. I've seen Django. I mean, they (laughs) they found the mask and the costume in the attic, didn't they, of the house they were scouting out for filming. I was going to say there was like a huge controversy around that mask because they really liked that mask and they were commissioning places to create them a mask that was similar. Because they didn't want to get the copyright for it. Exactly. And finally, nothing was hitting and Wes was like, let's just fucking use it. So I think that that mask is a, is credited to Fun World and that's like the original Scream mask. Yes. Well, it's super cool. That's why they have like all like white ghost faces in Dead by Daylight is because you don't like they don't own the rights to the ghost face mask that's why you get all the shitty like the devil ghost face the blood squirt ghost yep. face the red white and blue ghost face the yeah chrome ghost face masks mm-hmm. yeah because it's not owned by scream which is really fucking cool yeah. honestly yeah. but also in the opening scene and the the principal getting murdered scene is their own mask they tried to make replica of the mask they found and that's the only two scenes you'll find that mask in the rest is the fun time that's interesting mask. The Fun World mask is very iconic, and um, they have different iterations of the Scream mask, and honestly, I'm super fucking stoked for Scream 6, because we see a totally different rendition of the Ghostface mask, and I am, I want to know the story behind it, because I know there is one. 100%. Alright, I only have two more questions for you guys, and one of these we have already answered, so let's see if we remember. What is Cotton's talk show called 100 percent cotton that's true and when he gets the phone call the person who is ghostface supposedly says that they are 110 percent 
Cotton fan, which I think mm-hmm. is campy. And we didn't even talk about that in Scream 3. There was a voice changer in Scream uh, oh, let, No, we forget about that. It doesn't exist. Yeah, that's what is that? dog shit huh? storytelling. That's so bad. <laughs> what that is die. that? It's okay. technology that even doesn't exist today. <laughs> what yeah what? um that was a big issue people thought it was like too sci-fi but yeah um we'll just let that die but the last question what does ghostface tell casey that he wants to see her insides he says to see what your insides look like yeah. and honestly if somebody told me that i would be very skeeved out like that should have been red flag number i'd be like a thousand what kind of her. insides do you want to see what sort of inside like oh at home (laughs) (laughs) but that's all i have for screen trivia um i might come up with some more for our next episode but yeah um i had fun talking about scream with you guys because you two are like the biggest scream fans that i know so i'm glad that we got to like chit chat about our favorite franchise gang gang both of you guys have ghost face uh tattoos Oh, hell yeah. Gang gang. That's super sick. Yeah. Mine's next to Pyramid Head from Silent Hill. Hell yeah, I have a Mothman tattoo also. Hey! Oh you guys are Mothman like... Unite! On my arm. Again. <laughs> yeah, that's part of him. Great for audio media. Absolutely amazing, you Yeah, guys. perfect. <laughs> Look at it. Look at it, Mike. <laughs> um, Spencer, thank you so much for joining us. Like, I really appreciate you doing this. Like, I couldn't think of a better person to have on our Scream episode. Yeah. Um, and I'm super excited that you'll be joining us for our Scream 4, 5, and 6 episode once we have seen Scream 6, which comes out oh, March yeah. 10th. In the UK as well. In theaters near you. Yeah, as well as um the UK. Thank fucking God. Christ, I would have actually fucking probably killed myself <laughs> if it was not out the same day as the US. I mean, I already wanted to kill myself with Pearl. That alone. Wait, do you it's... see it before us? Mm-mm. Like, with time zones? We see it before? I think well, so. Well, Meg's seen it on the 9th, and there are showings on the 9th here, but I am going to be seeing it on the 10th. I haven't even gotten my tickets yet. Fuck. Bitch! You need to fucking get on that. I got, like, five concerts this month. Holy I gotta... Shit. Uh, doesn't fucking matter. I've got I've got Super Messiah in six months, and I've got a trip to Austria the same month, so Jesus you got Christ, no just fucking a casual excuse. trip to Austria. Just casual. Anyway, well, but Spencer, do you have any social medias for yourself that you want to plug or like? Um, no, not ones that I want to plug. No. Okay, that's great. That's great. That's great. Anyway, we've got social media. You can follow <laughs> us on Instagram at Horrorhunts Podcast and at Twitter at Horrorhunts Pod. And if you wanted to ask us free a question, I will screenshot and send it into the group chat um because that's what i do because i'm the one that runs social media unfortunately sorry for you guys i do sometimes forget messages and ignore them because i got a bad memory i was gonna say if anybody has any scream fun facts or like things that we missed about screams one through three please just shoot us a message or tweet us i fucking love talking about scream to literally anyone that will listen and talk back to me so please message us on any social media if it has anything to do with Scream. But yeah, I normally ask this question to V, but since we have a special guest, I think I should ask Spencer. Hey, Spencer, do you have any final thoughts for today's episode? Oh, I think uh, just watch more horror movies. Go see them in theaters. Period. Support that shit. Mm -hmm. Also, don't fucking spoil horror movies, you dickheads. 
Oh my god. Yeah. I have, like, everything on... I haven't been on the Scream subreddit, which is really fucking cool normally. But, like, the spoilers, are you fucking kidding me? I haven't seen any yet. Spoiler alert, people are spoiling Scream 6. So don't be a dickhead. Have a wonderful day. Yeah. Bye, guys. (laughs) 